Welcome to Habs Unfiltered. This independent podcast is featured on the Hockey Writers and iHeartRadio, bringing you honest and unfiltered entertainment and discussion on the Montreal Canadiens and hockey news. Your hosts, Matt Smith, Treg Wilson, and Blaine Putney are proud to be one of your trusted sources. If you are talking about it, so are we. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Probably the most toxic thing in Habs Twitter, Mark Bergevin. So, uh, yes, I'm going to talk about Mark Bergevin. Uh, I'm in quarantine. Uh, there's really not a lot of hockey subjects to talk about, so I thought I'd pick the most toxic thing I could think of in uh, Habs' recent history, and that would be Mark Bergevin. People either love him or hate him. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about why people love and why people hate him. Uh, I'll give away my personal opinion of Bergevin. I think Bergevin is an average GM at best. I think he uh, was a product of a winning team that wasn't supposed to win. I don't think he had a great team, but Carey Price kind of carried it. Uh, the team uh, ended up winning uh, division titles in 2016-17, uh, 2014-15, and uh, 2012-13, his very first year, so uh, which is the strike short year. So they ended up, uh, you know, being a good team right off the bat when he took over. I mean, he took over. The team finished in uh, with 78 points. Uh, Jacques Martin was fired. Then you had Randy Cunningworth hired, uh, which turned out to be a disaster. Uh, everyone got fired. At the end of that season, Pierre Gauthier was uh, was fired, and Bergevin hired. Uh, at the time, Bergevin was the uh, assistant general manager for two-time Stanley Cup winner Chicago Blackhawks, and uh, he was French-Canadian. So, of course, in Montreal, you need a French-Canadian, or at least a French-speaking uh, GM and coach. Uh, so, overcomes Mark Bergevin. Uh, at the time, sure, great. Uh he came in, and uh, I'll dispel the rumor of the five-year plan. He never had a five-year plan. What he had, uh, a French uh, francophone media member asked him what his five-year plan was. He said he didn't work that way, uh, but he was going to build for the draft. <coughs> and at the time, the Canadians weren't a great team. They finished uh, last in their division. And, uh, yeah, with only 78 points the year before, no one was expecting them to do much of anything. Uh, you know, uh, the next season, uh, Bergevin, uh, really, if you think about it, didn't do much, uh, as opposed to bringing people in. Um, he, uh, I mean, his trades, which we'll talk about, uh, his trades weren't much, uh, 
He got Dustin Tokarski for Cedric Desjardins, and he got uh, at the trade deadline. He got Eric Cole for Michael, Ro- or sorry, Michael Ryder for Eric Cole. Um, yeah, so really not much. Um, so that first year didn't ma- didn't really do much of anything, um, except you know he hired Michael Terrian, which to me. I wasn't a big fan of. I was never a fan of Michael Terrian. Uh, but he hired Terrian. Uh, he came in as the coach of Montreal. Um, and they went to the uh, conference quarterfinals. And that was in the strike-shortened year, the year P.K. Subban won the Norris Trophy. Uh, the very next year uh, really was the year that uh, Montreal finished with 100 points. Uh, they were 46-28-8. and eight. Uh, they were third in the uh, third out of eight, third in the conference, and they went right to the conference finals. Probably could have went to the Stanley Cup finals if uh, Kreider doesn't injure Carey Price. Uh, whether they would have won the cup or not, I don't know. I'm not going to go that far, but uh, the Price was playing as well. It, it was possible. It was a possibility that they could have won the uh, Stanley Cup that year, but uh, I sh- truly believe they could have beat New York and went to the. Uh, and went to the Stanley Cup Finals that year, except for Price, of course, gets injured. Uh, then we'll go to the uh, very next season. They finished 50, 22, and 10, uh, 110 points. They finished first in the uh, in their division, or actually in the conference. Uh, and uh, they lost uh, in the second round that year. Uh, the next year... They don't make Price gets hurt. Uh, they were the top team in the league uh, until Price gets hurt for the first 20, 25 games. Uh, they finished 38, 38, 682 points and out of the playoffs. They finished sixth of uh, six of uh, eight in the uh, in their division. Um, big reason they didn't make the playoffs that year, which is the first year that uh, under Bergevin they don't make the playoffs, was the fact that they. Uh, Ber- Price got hurt, and up until then, Price was a huge reason why uh, they, uh, you know, they they were making the playoffs and playing well. Not the only reason, but a huge reason. Um, So until that point, uh, Mark Bergevin, who, as a matter of fact, in 13-14, was second in voting for general manager of the year. Uh, If you look at the trades, (coughs) he made to improve the team, too, then. Nothing really huge flies out. Uh, he acquired Jason DeSantis was his very first trade he made on January 14th. The Tatarski deal, he got Michael Ryder at the deadline, he gets Davis Drewiski on April 2nd of 2013 in the offseason. A couple draft picks. He uh, gets Christian Thomas for Danny Cristo, nothing there. Uh, he tries to toughen the team up. He trades Philip Lafay for George Peros, and that lasted all of one punch. Uh, he gets Dale Weiss for Rafael Diaz, and that would prove important in, uh, two th- in, the, in the playoffs uh, because he, he was a big reason they got by Tampa Bay in the first round. Uh, but a lot of minor deals. Steve Quayler for Robert Zarnick. Uh, they got Zarnick. Mike Weaver for a draft pick, a fifth-round pick. That ended up actually being a pretty good deal. I thought Mike Weaver was a solid uh, pick. And that was at the trade deadline. And also at the trade deadline, he picks up Thomas Vanek. This was in 2014 for Sebastian Kohlberg. Uh, he picks up Devin Dubnik for future considerations. He goes on to be a great goaltender with uh, Minnesota, but not with Montreal. Uh, yeah. And that's really it. So there's really not a lot to uh, go on by in the offseason. He, he traded Louis LeBlanc for a few draft picks. Uh, Traded a third-round pick, or acquired a third-round pick for a third and a fourth from Arizona. Picks up, he trades Daniel Briere in his four-million contract for Pierre Alexander Parento in his five, in a fifth-round pick. But he also had a four-million contract. So, and of course, Josh Georges gets traded for a second-round pick uh, in July, and that's that's up to 2014. So I guess I'll segue into things that Bergevin does do, did do well, and that's trading. Uh, if you look back at all his trades, you can't really sit there and say he did bad. 
uh, as I look over his trades now in cap friendly, there's not really a bad trade here. Um, maybe Budai for Tangardi wasn't a good trade. Uh, you know, you trade a Travis Moe for Sergei Goncher. At the time, wasn't a bad trade, 2014. You got Rene Bork for Brian Allen. Rene Bork, if you can remember, uh, that was in November of 2014. In 2015, he had that, uh, um, he had a pretty good playoff series uh, to get past the first round. Um, so if you look over his trades, there's not really a whole lot. He gets Troy Mitchell for nothing, but there wasn't anything huge. Uh, he gets uh, trades Brendan Press for Zach Cassian. Uh, Zach Cassian, who had uh, addiction issues, uh, crashed his truck he into like a Tim Hortons or something. He never really did play for the Habs. And then uh, maybe his, I think, a terrible trade <coughs> is in the when Price went injured, he traded Zach Cassian to Edmonton for Ben Scrivens. And ben Scrivens did absolutely nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, but other than that, he didn't really do much of anything until the 2016. Like, nothing major. Anyway, everything, you can't say he lost or won a trade because there was no real major trade. Uh, Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline at the time was a good move. Uh, he got a second-round pick for Josh Georges. He was kind of getting over the hill. He uh, Dale Reese was a good pickup for Rafael Diaz, who ended up actually going to Europe to play. Um, so, having said this, there wasn't anything really there that he did wrong. So I'm gonna, uh, I guess I'm going to get into the good things Bergeron does, and that's trading. Uh, so when uh, you really get into how good his trading was is in uh, 2016. You remember this year, because this is where the whole divide of Mark Bergeron starts happening. Uh, so until 2016, if you look at Montreal, uh, they never missed the playoffs. As uh, a matter of fact, 2015-16 uh, is the first year under Bergeron and they missed the playoffs and like I said that was largely due to the fact that Price got injured because until then they were the top team in the league uh, until he got injured and then 26 his first year they missed the playoffs uh, and they did get 82 points so they were they weren't they got a they were 500 a point per game but still they they, they didn't uh, they didn't do it after having 100 102 100 point seasons 113 14 110 and and 14-15, this was the first adversity, and he didn't handle it well. He 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 didn't. He went with Condon, who was playing well, uh, while Price was uh, was not hurt. While Price was there, Condon played well, uh, but he wasn't going to carry the team. And uh, if you were a fan, you would know that. So he went and got Ben Scrivens, who was in Edmonton. He really didn't do. He wasn't a starter. He wasn't whatever. He but he didn't want to go away from what his plan was from the beginning, which was to build through the draft. So he didn't want to give up a first or second round draft pick to pick up a temporary goalie to replace Price. Uh, whether that was a bad move or not, it doesn't really matter. Uh, personally, I think if he all he had to do was go out and get someone a little bit more adequate than Skiv Scrivens, uh, maybe a veteran goaltender who you know, could fill in for Price, and maybe they squeak into the playoffs. Uh, but it didn't happen. So he went and got Scrivens. He wasn't sticking to the plan. He wasn't, you know, deviating. And uh, we got what we got. We ended up with a 500 season and finishing sixth in the conference, or sixth in the division out of the playoffs. Um, yeah, so, but this is where the, this 2016 is really the year that the trade started coming through that prove... Uh, good. So, for instance, uh, he picked up Dale Weiss back in 2014, I believe. Uh, I just mentioned it here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he did well for the Canadians at the time. He, he, he performed in the playoffs against Tampa Bay, got them through the first round. And then he ended up trading him again in 2016, uh, only going the other way. He traded him... Uh, see traded him and Thomas Fleshman on February 26th for a young guy by the name of Phil Deneau in a second round pick in 2018, which ended up being Alexander Romanov. This is probably the greatest trade he's made, in my opinion. 
uh, Phil Deneau has become a, a possession machine and is last year finished seventh in the voting for the uh, Selkie and uh, probably could be in the voting for it again this year. He's not going to win it, uh, Bergeron, Bergeron or someone like that's going to win it, but uh, he, he's becoming that uh, uh, two-way center that the Canadians have been looking for. He's not a number one center, don't get me wrong, but he's a high end, he's, a, he's, a, he's at least a second center. He, he, he's the last two seasons, his point totals have uh, pretty much um, went up each season he's played for the Canadians. Uh, yeah, when he first came from Chicago, I mean, he only had five points in 21 games. No one was paying attention to him. In his first full season, 40 points in 82 games. 17-18, uh, injuries hit him. He only played 52 games at 25 points. Last year, career year, 53 points in 81 games. He was a plus 17. And then this year, he was on pace to uh, either match or do better than what his career year. He had 47 points in 71 games, 13 goals, which tied his career high. Um, so, yeah, he was just improving every single year that he uh, that he, he played. <coughs> and that's what you want to see. And they pretty much got him for nothing. And then they had Alexander Romanov, who looks like he's going to be that big stud of a defenseman on the left side that the Montreal's been looking for. I uh, talked about that. We talked about that on the Habs Unfiltered show, on, on our all-defensive Habs Unfiltered show. Uh, and then the, the trades kind of kept coming in pretty good. He traded Lars Eller for two draft picks at the tr at the draft uh, and then traded Andrew Shaw for two second-round draft picks. So, uh, or sorry, traded uh, for Andrew Shaw to replace Lars Eller, and he gave up two uh, second-round draft picks. Now, one of those draft picks ended up being Alex Deprignac, cat uh you know second round pick 39th overall but let's be honest Montreal may not have picked a bird cat i'm not going to get into the oh they could have had this guy because who knows who they would have drafted i'm going to get into drafting a little later uh so yeah so it's hard then uh the same year on june 29th uh we get into the whole divide of whether you like mark bergevin or not when he traded uh, 32-year-old Shea Weber for 28-year-old P.K. Subban, who had just signed a $9 million contract uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he signed $9 million for eight years, <coughs> and there was a no-trade clause that kicked in later. Uh, if he got traded, they could end it, which Nashville did. They got rid of his no-trade clause. But, uh, and if you really look at the uh, the contract, uh, $9 million is a huge contract. The guy came off a Norse Trophy winning season and the strike short in season there. Um, he's great offensive uh, defenseman. He, he kind of helped the Montreal Canadiens be who they were. It wasn't just Carey Price. Uh, P.K. Subban helped as well. Uh, and, uh, however, he wasn't, he was a liability defensively. Andre Markov really, uh, made it so that P.K. Subban looked a hell of a lot better than what he was, uh, because, uh, defensively he was a liability. He, he gave, turned over the puck a lot. He, he was flashy. He was dancy. He scored a lot. He looked good. He was a fan favorite. I liked him. Everyone loved him. And, but Andre Markov really kept him in check and he really needed a guy like Markov there. And then the rumors of P.K. Subban not being well in the dressing room, a little bit of an ego going for him, which I tend to believe because it followed him kind of in Nashville uh, for the three seasons he played there. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he was a, he, he had 60 points in 2014-15 and his 82 games. That's two seasons removed from his almost point per game total in 12-13. Uh, so, his Norris Trophy winning season, uh, he had 14 points in 17 playoff games and 13-14 as well. Uh, and then he got traded by Montreal for Shea Weber and a fan favorite like that, one for one. A lot of people have an issue with it and then a lot of people started uh, hating on Mark Bergevin and I mean hating on this guy. Like everything he did was the worst thing he ever did, which is is, is wrong. Uh, personally, I think he should have traded P.K. Subban 
and maybe something extra and try to get that center that they most desperately needed. But this was a this was a contract hockey move. Nashville wanted to get rid of Shea Weber's old contract that was going on for the rest of his career, and uh, Montreal wanted to get rid of the nine, not only the P.K. Subban, but uh, his $9 million. Uh, and uh, now Bergevin says this was his best trade he ever made. It brought character to the room. Shea Weber's a good leader, and maybe so, uh, but I think it could have went a different way. And then you look at some of the other deals he made, uh, Again, nothing too big. He, he kind of s- kept quiet. A lot of people go on about the trade deadline deals of Dwight King, Steve Ott, and Andres Martinson. But if you really look into it, <coughs> there wasn't really much available. The top, Montreal was 15th in scoring at the time. They were third in uh, goal. They're 15th in goals for, third in goals against. Their goal scoring was kind of diminishing as the season went on. But they're playing well defensively. They had Carey Price. Uh, they were going into the playoffs against the uh, uh, New York Rangers who were kind of weaker. Uh, I think a big reason they lost that playoff series was due to the fact that uh, Lundqvist just played lights out. He he played amazing. Uh, they needed size because they didn't have a lot of size, so they went out and got Steve Ott, Dwight King, and Andres Martinson. Uh, and in the end, all they gave up was a sixth-round pick and Sven Andragetto. Andragetto's not in the NHL now. And the sixth-round pick, which went to Detroit for Steve Oss, was Tim Burney. So it turned out to be nothing. Steve Ott won them face-offs. It was what they needed, a good face-off guy. Dwight King and Martinson provided them size. The pick, the fourth-round pick, they traded for Dwight King. They actually got back when they traded Tory Mitchell to the Kings. So really, they got Dwight King for nothing. Did they really do anything? No, not really. Steve Ott won a few face-offs. That's about it. But... Uh, but they didn't hurt the team either. Um, at that trade deadline, there was really no one else they could have gotten. Uh, Joe Thornton was available, but he wasn't moving anywhere. Uh, Alexander Radulov was the top offensive free agent, and they already had him. So if you look at that trade deadline, could they add it scoring? Sure, but it wouldn't have been a, a free agent trade deadline trade. It would have had to been someone who has some term on them or whatever, and Bergevin would have to deviate from his plan that he's had all along, and that's give up a, a first or s- a high-end draft pick to get that person. He wasn't doing that. Um, should he have? Well, I don't know. Sure. But uh, anyway, we got put out in the first round by the Rangers, uh, and people say it's due to lack of scoring. I, I'll, I'll agree with that, but it also had a lot to do with the fact that Lugwas had a 970-something uh, save percentage during that series, and he just outplayed Carey Price. Who, by the way, also had a 968 save percentage in that series, so or 950, sorry. So it's not like Harry Price played like shit. Uh, the next big controversial trade was Sergachev for Drouin. Now, Sergachev was an upcoming defenseman. Uh, he only played four games with the Canadians. Uh, they felt that they wanted a forward and Jonathan Drouin, a French-Canadian star, um, they traded Sergachev for him. I think they could have traded less for Drouin. Uh, I'm not going to call this trade a win. I'm not going to call it an actual loss, but I'm not going to call it a win either because Sergachev would actually fix the issues we have on defense right now if he was still with the Canadians. And he played the same way he played with the uh, with Tampa Bay. Now, that's my first segments here getting long-winded. Uh, but as you, you know, I mean... And a couple of other good trades he did. He got Caden Primo from the Flyers. He swapped seventh-round picks, which were their own, by the way, uh, and ended up getting Caden Primo's seventh-round pick. Uh, yeah. Thomas Plakanic. Uh They got for Reichel Velev in a second-round pick, which ended up being Jacob Olofsson. Um, yeah. Domi for Galchenyuk ended up that's a great trade. Uh, by him, although Domi had kind of a down year this year, which could be good for us because that means we can sign him. But other than that, it's just like a bunch of swap of picks. Another great uh, trade he did, Joel Armia. He got Armia and uh, the rights and Steve Mason for Simon Bork. Uh, and Joel Armia, if he can stay healthy, looks like he could be a top six, six winger if he can stay healthy. Um, yeah, and then uh, another, and then probably... The second best deal he made was uh, Nick Suzuki and Tom Tatar for Max Pacioretty. Now, Pacioretty was on his way to being a 40-goal scorer in Vegas. Good for him, but uh, Montreal got everything they needed. Tom Tatar, 
had two career years here in Montreal. Nick Suzuki looks like he's going to be a, a top six forward and uh, probably a 70-point guy, which Montreal needs. You put him along with Domi, who could be a 70-point guy, Caulfield, who could be a 60-point guy, Gallagher, who's a 30-goal scorer, and you're going to have a pretty good top six. Um, yeah, and then, you know, a few more minor details and minor trades and stuff like that. So, <coughs> and then you have, you know, other things. Marco Scandella, they, got, they traded a... Uh, um, fourth round pick for Marco Scandella then traded him to St. Louis and ended up getting a second and a fourth round pick the fourth round pick because St. Louis signed him so the moves he made you know he, he, he's hoarding draft picks and uh, I'm going to take a break this is a long winded first section I'm up to almost 30 minutes here I'm going to take a break here so if anything Bergevin's very good at trading and he's very good at pick management and asset management uh, he's very good at uh, stuff like that. Um, some of his trades, he probably could have traded the like Sergachev or Subban and got something he needed, like a, a, a top center. Uh, but that's not how it went. So uh, he didn't do that. Uh, I don't think the trades were terrible. The Subban trade for Subban for Weber is now looking like a win because Subban has dropped off terribly. Uh, and uh, I would say the Sergachev drew in. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think that was a that was one of his better trades. I see why he did it. I was excited about it at the time. I think Druin, if he didn't get hurt this year, would have had that breakout season he needed. Uh, and let's just hope it, uh, it, it. His attitude that he had going into this season continues on into to next season, and uh, he he sticks with it. Uh, so coming back from the break, we're going to talk about uh, what Bergman's not good at, and then I'll give you my overall assessment. Uh, all right, I'll see you right after these very important uh, made-up messages. have a problem getting big city slams are you not getting the gains at the gym well don't mortgage your future on rental supplements get burger arms burger arms get you the gains you need burger arms gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better character so you can get the gains you need get burger arms burger arms burger arms today not a real project may make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man do not use if you're healthy, if you want it loyalty, buy a dog. Tuesday. So, I'm already going past my normal time, but uh, I think it's important. I think it's important to talk about uh, Bergevin and uh, why people love and hate him. And I'm just throwing out facts here. You can think what you want. So, drafting. There's a lot of people going on about how Bergevin is terrible at drafting, him and Timmons. Um, and you kind of have a point. Uh, earlier on, um, the drafting wasn't very good. Uh, if you really look at uh, if you really look at the drafting picks, so their their first draft was twenty twelve. <coughs> well, and uh, their pick was Alex Galchenyuk, who at the time, uh, during that pick was the uh, um, third overall pick. Uh, Nail Yakupov and Ryan Murray were one and two. Morgan Riley ends up being the best guy out of that uh, top five. Um, and he was a defenseman. Because if you look at the next uh, picks from four to 
10 were all defensemen. Um, Jacob Truba, Matt Dumba, and Morgan Miley ended up being... And Montreal at the time was looking for a center. So there was no way Montreal was looking for a center. And if you really look at the top 10 picks, only two were forwards. And that was uh, Nail Yakupov, which Edmonton took first overall and ended up being a disaster. And then uh, Montreal takes Alex Galchenyuk, uh, third overall. And he was the center. He was actually, if you look at the class, because if you go down here, you have great... Uh, Grigorenko, Faxa, and Grigginsons. Jesus, I suck at saying names. And then Thomas Hurdle. So he still has more points and more games than all of these guys. So, yeah, he was a 30-goal scorer for uh, Montreal. Uh, I'm not going to toot Galchenyuk's horn. He's had his issues. He had his whatever. But uh, coming into Montreal, he progressively improved on points every season he was with Montreal until 2016-17. He dropped to 44, then up to 51, then he got traded, and he hasn't really done much since. So, uh, at the time, I don't think that was a bad first pick. Uh, I think it was the best first pick available. They wanted a center. They thought they got the number one center in Galchenyuk, and uh, they went with it, and it just turned out he has his talent, just not the brain. Uh, but then if you look at the rest of it, Kohlberg, Thrower, Boson, Vile, Nystrom, and Houdon. Only Houdon played, and he only played 125 games. So, yeah. And then the next year, Michael McCarron's their top pick. He's only played 69 games at 8 points. Again, they were picking 25th overall here, uh, and they were looking for a big uh, guy. He was drafted as a right winger. Uh, they were looking at him to be a big center, probably like a third or fourth center. Uh, but again, who it, it, you really have to look at who was available in and around. Shea Theodore went next. I personally would have went. Hunter Shinkirk went before him, which Montreal briefly had, uh, but he ended up being nothing. Uh, the guys they missed out on, Ryan Hartman, uh, they missed out on him, but really Ryan Hartman only had 109 points in 314 games. So... Uh, and you really can't go before him because, you know, people were drafted. With Jonathan Druin was actually drafted that year third overall. So to sit there and say it was a terrible pick, I hindsight I went with Theodore, but at the time they really didn't. They had Markov, they had uh, uh, they had Markov and Subban with their top defensemen. They had uh, guys coming up like uh, Bulio and Tenorti who were drafted before that. Um, in the second round, when they went with Jacob De La Rose and uh, Zach Vercali, they had the 34th and 36th pick. Again, they weren't bad picks. Uh, Jacob De La Rose is a solid fourth-line player with Detroit. He was in Montreal. Uh, Laurent Dauphin was picked by Phoenix in that pick, who's now part of the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, hindsight, Tristan Jerry, who was picked by uh, 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 Pittsburgh, he, he would have been... but. Gustav Olsson, who's now a Canadian, he was picked. So you're looking, now you're just digging to see, oh, well, they could have had Anthony Duclair. Well, he was picked 80th in the third round. And now you're just digging. Now you're just saying, you know, all the other clubs could have had those guys twice, So and they didn't pick him either. So that's what he did. Uh, the, the best pick out of that draft in 2013 was Arturi Lekin. They had three second-round picks. He was, th- he was the third pick. Uh, he's becoming a solid uh, third-line, two-way player. And uh, if he could just find, learn a way to hit the net, he could probably be a top six player. Uh, but for some reason, he just can't put the puck in the net. And then 2014, Nikita Sherbeck was their top pick. And this is probably a Jake Evans. He's got three points in 13 games. He's coming out to be probably a solid bottom six player. Uh, and he was picked in the seventh round. Uh, but Nikita Sherbeck was picked in 2014. Uh, Montreal was picked in 26th. David Pasternak went to Boston. Now, if Montreal would have got David Pasternak, it would have been a whole different story. But really, if you look at who got picked after him, Adrian Kemp, they could have went with him. Uh, he had 103 points in 256 games so far. Uh, well, Sherbeck, or even Goldobin, but he hasn't really done much either. 
So now, you're, again, now we're grasping. Now we're going into the second round to see, well, he could have got Brendan Monitor or he could have got, you know, Warren Fogle or Brayden Point, who was picked 79th overall by Tampa. Brayden Point was picked in the third round, so teams passed on him twice. And uh, once a team passed, once every team passed on a guy twice, I'm not going to look back and say, well, they should have got this guy. Um, because that's just silly. Because now, now you're grasping at straws. So, yeah. Sorry, but that, 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 that's what you're doing. So, really, if you look at the drafting early on, sure, it could have been better. I'll, I'll agree with you. They could have made better tricks. But who, who were they going to pick? Like, at the time, you got to think of where they were picking, who they were picking, and what they were looking for. Um, yeah. And uh, so at those times, Montreal Canadiens were looking for a, a center, and they were looking for really top-scoring forwards, and they went with Nikita Scherbeck because they thought, from Saskatoon Blades, they thought it'd be a good sort of one. Uh, 2015, they uh, came out and picked Noah Juleson first overall, and now the book's still out on Noah. He's had injury problems the last few. I think Noah's going to turn out to be a solid defenseman and an NHL regular defenseman. Uh, he was picked 26th overall from the Everett Silvertips. Uh, injuries have really hampered his career um, to the point where he's only played in the past two seasons, he's only played uh, 37 games uh, anywhere. So, um, yeah, you really got to... Uh, uh, Noah Juleson, I, I think, is a solid pick at 26. Again, you got to look who was picked around him. Um, Jacob Larson was the next pick. Anthony Bouvier uh, was 28th. And then, again, you're into the second round where you got Sebastian Ajo. Uh, who was picked 35th overall. So every team passed on Sebastian Ajo in the first round. Uh, we tried to get him, uh, and we didn't. Uh, but that would have ended up being probably, hindsight, that would have probably been the best pick. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, we could have got McDavid or Eichel if we were picking first or second, but uh, we were actually successful that year, so we didn't. Um, and then 2016... Where you're just picking top ten, yeah, I I think they hit the nail on the head. They picked Mikhail Sugarchev. Uh, the rest of the picks, uh, well, Victor Mete came out of that fourth. Uh, we'll hurry on here. We all know the story on Sugarchev. Uh, next pick is Ryan Paling. Book still out on him. I think he's going to be a solid third round, uh, third line center. They picked him 25th overall. Uh, he's another guy people kind of are complaining about because I'm feeling they think he should have. Because he scored three goals in a game, he was going to be this 40-goal scorer. Uh, if you look who got picked uh, before him or after him, you're looking at Ottinger, Morgan Frost, who I don't know if he kind of turned out to be much of anything. Shane Bowers there from Ottawa, who hasn't even played yet. Uh, and then you're going, and then again you're going into the second round, and no one's really jumping out on this one um, on this draft, really. Uh, Robert Thomas went 20th overall. Um, Nico Hersher, Nolan Patrick, who's dealing with injuries. Uh, Heskinen, Elias Patterson, who's become probably the best player out of this draft. But other than that, no one's really running away with anything yet. So, again, uh, Yamamoto starting to have a, a came on near the end of the season with Edmonton. He looks like he's going to be... Uh, but to Ryan Paling... Was a center, a big, you know, had some size to him. Played out of the Saint Cloud State, and uh, yeah, Montreal still has hopes for him. Is he going to be a top line center? But no. But when you're drafting 25th, you're not looking. For, you're not getting an all star. Uh, but this is where the drafting starts getting better. Uh, 2016 and on, because you have Kale Fleury who's picked 87th overall, Caden Primu, and then you get in the 2018 draft, which I attended myself. And you have Yasperi Kotkaniemi. Now, people are, there's some people, because he had a down season this year where he dealt with injuries and he dealt with, uh, you know, a, a size bump up uh, in his game. Uh, and he dealt with the fact that he came right to the team the year before. Maybe he should have spent a, a year in uh, in, uh, in Laval. Who knows, because he killed it in Laval when he went down there. He was a point-per-game player. 
and uh, Montreal. He has 42 points, 115 games, 17 goals. Uh, he was their number one pick. He was a center because, of course, they picked for a center. Personally, I would have picked Brady Kachuk, but that's just me. Because uh, if you're picking top three or top five, I don't think you should pick towards need. I think you should pick towards best player available. Uh, but this is also the draft. They got Yessi Yolanin, uh, Alexander Romanov, uh, Jordan Hare, Alan McShane. Looks like he's going to be a good player. Uh, Cam Hillis could be good. Uh, so you have a bunch of players that could come out of this draft as good players. And, of course, last year you get Cole Caulfield, which I think was a steal at 15th. Jaden Struble is going to be in Matthias Norlander. Looks like they're going to be two fairly good uh, uh, defensemen for Montreal. Again, Montreal went started drafting a little bit more for need. Uh, they, they know they need a defenseman, so they drafted out of the one, two, three, four, five, ten picks. They drafted uh, five defensemen. Uh, and like the year before, they needed a center. So out of their 11 picks, six of them were centers. So that's uh, how Montreal seems to be picking. I don't think Montreal's drafting is an issue. Developing might be an issue. I think they, they rushed Kotkaniemi a bit. Uh, Ryan Paling, um, I think he was just a product that he played that game, scored the three goals, and everyone thought he was going to be a superstar. And, you know. Uh, but Josh Brook, he came out of that 2017 draft. He looks like he's going to be good. Kale Fleury came in. He played okay in Montreal. Uh, but uh, they're all, all of them, Kotkaniemi, Paling, they're taking their time on them now. I think they learn from their mistakes with uh, Galchenyuk and with uh, uh, McCarron and guys like that, and uh, they're trying to draft smarter. Uh, depending on where they draft this year, uh, depending on what the NHL is going to do, if they'll be drafting eighth or ninth. They have a good chance to pick up a great player. Let's just hope they go for best player available and not so much what they need because I personally think they're okay now. I think they have their cupboards filled, and now, because uh, Montreal, and this is where I'm going to wrap up with here, is uh, they are a bubble team. And by saying they're a bubble team, what I'm saying is, is they, as long as all the things hit right and everyone stays healthy, uh, they're a playoff team, or can be a playoff team. Uh, this year, uh, even when the season started, they were a distant flirt with making the playoffs. But if if Druin stayed healthy, if they didn't lose Druin, Armia, and Gallagher all at the same time, then Montreal could have easily uh, made a, uh, been a, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not going to say easily, but they could have made the playoffs. You take away their two eight-game losing streaks and even make them 4-4 uh, four and four in both of those eight, or 8-8 eight eight through those 16 games, and while Montreal is pretty much in a, I'm not going to say they're pretty much in a playoff spot, but you know, they have 16 more points than what they have now. Uh, I'll have to look up their standings right now. But uh, um, they're, yeah, they're they're going to be closer to a playoffs than they were. So 16 points gives them 87 po- 80, 16, 87 points. So they're ahead of the Leafs. So, and that's only going 4-4. Four and four. Or that's only going eight eight in those sixteen games they lost. It's only going five hundred. They'll be thirty nine and thirty nine and nine with uh, uh, eighty seven points. Uh, oh, not thirty nine. Oh, sorry. Anyway, take eight law. Lo- they have sixty more points, which gives them eighty seven. I, I messed that up. I was just looking at uh, their their record and added eight to each one, but that's not how it went. Uh, so you take uh, sixteen losses off, put eight wins, put eight losses on, and and they they, they add sixteen points. That's eighty seven. That puts them third in the division, third in the division by six points, but with a game in hand. So that's how I, I kind of look at it. Maybe I'm a, bit, a little bit too positive, uh, but if I really really think uh, Bergevin. So, in the end, overall, uh, injuries played a huge part on the missed seasons that Montreal had. The first one in 16 was Price's injury. Uh, last year, they had 96 points for 15th best team in the league. It was just a product of where they were, what division they were in, what conference they were in. If they were in the Western Conference, they were in the playoffs. So, they were virtually a playoff team last year. The year before, well... Price had injury problems. Uh, 
Weber had injury problems. <coughs> and when people argue, well, injuries, uh, Pittsburgh has injuries. Montreal doesn't have depth, and that's the problem right now with Montreal is their depth. Uh, when you lose a guy like Druin, who at the time when he went out with injuries was one of the top players on the team and replace him with a guy like Cousins, you're going to see a significant fall in, uh, in production. And that's Montreal's problem. They don't have the guys that can step in and replace the big guys on the team with adequate enough production to keep them at pace. And that's what Montreal needs to work on, and I think that's what they're doing with the draft. I think uh, that's why I say they're all right. Uh, this offseason is going to be a huge offseason for Bergevin. Uh, he really needs to get that center and or left-handed defenseman that we're looking for, or... Uh, or the time is coming close for us to move on and find someone else. And and, and the reason I, I, I give him the 22 season, so two more seasons, uh, especially with the expansion draft coming. And if the team isn't, uh, I'm not going to say a Stanley Cup contender, but isn't an annual playoff team, then it, it's time to move on. He's had 10 years. Uh, the first five was a success because the team won playoff rounds. They were making the playoffs every year. Uh, and then the team had to change direction. I don't think Bergevin personally changed direction. I think he stayed the same. He 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 wanted to build through the draft, and that's what he did. He didn't really give up a whole lot of draft picks. I don't think he's ever traded a number one pick for anyone. Uh, his, his biggest weaknesses is drawing free agents in. Uh, his biggest weakness is uh, the talent and uh, either developing it or realizing that it needs more development. Uh, and I'll put that on him because he hires the people to do that. Uh, his biggest weakness is being too loyal to people. I think Julian should be gone. I don't think Tarion was the right hire. I don't think Julian was the right hire after Tarion because they're pretty much the same coach. It's just one's more likable than the other. Um, I don't think the team is against Julian. I think they like Julian as a coach. I don't think... I think... Anyway, I'm not going to get into Julian. This is the Bergevin show, but I, I think... Uh, uh, I don't think uh, Bergman hired the right coach for the team he has. He has an offensive-minded team, and he hired a defensive-minded coach, and I think that's some of the issues they're having with Julian. And the issues were there in, uh, Pitt, in, in Boston, and I don't think Julian lets those rookies make the mistakes and learn from them. As soon as they make mistakes, he sits them down. So, Overall, my assessment on, on Bergman is he's an average GM. He's not the best GM in the league, far from it. He's not the worst, far from it. He's not the worst GM Montreal's had. As a matter of fact, I think he's the best GM we've had since Serge Savard. That's not saying much because we haven't had great GMs since then. Bob Gainey, maybe. Uh, so, and all Bob Gainey did was trade everything he had for a win-now situation. I think uh, Bergevin's stubborn. He's sticking to what he wants to do. He's sticking to his plan, which is building through the draft no matter what. He's not going to give up assets for a temporary fix. He's looking at the long-term goal. My question is, is when does that long-term goal become a reality? If you're always looking five years in the future, then you're never going to reach the. You're never going to reach it. Uh, and then you got to ask yourself, who's who's going to replace him? Who's out there to replace him? So I guess that's my question to 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 Habs fans at the end of this: is who replaces Bergevin when we get rid of him? Who's out there? What French Canadian GM or what French Canadian? Uh, the guy, whether it be in the mind with, with NHL experience, because a lot of people's argument is that Bergeron would hire without NHL experience. Who's going to replace him? And I think that's the, the, the issue we're at. So whether you love him or hate him, I think he's here for the next two years. Uh, as if the progression keeps the way it's going, I'm okay with that. If it stays, becomes stagnant, then I'm not. I don't look, I'm not one of those guys who need the team to make the playoffs every year as long as I can see a, a, a development or a a uh, a betterment of the team for the future for long for the long term goal of being a long term playoff team and a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, so that's what I got to say about Bergman. That's my thing on Bergman. Again, it doesn't matter. I, I know a lot of people hate him because he traded Subban, and I think that's a stupid reason to hate the guy. Look at his overall work. Um, it's not perfect. It's not great. He's an average GM. Is there a better French Canadian GM out there? That's the question you got to ask. And if there is, who? Let me know who. Uh, drop me, drop me a, a, tag, a tweet or whatever. Let me know who. Uh, so that's the show this week. It's a bit longer than my normal shows, uh, but uh, I think it was important. And I was kind of bored today, so I went on with it. So uh, 
thank you for listening. Uh, again, you made us uh, again this week. We were uh, one of the top Habs podcasts uh, going, at least on Apple. And uh, I want to hope you like this show. I hope you listen to it. Uh, listen to Habs Unfiltered, our all-defense special, where we talk about uh, Markov, Romanov, Scandella, and uh, Big Buff. Uh, by the way, we dropped the Big Buff uh, question of whether you should come to Montreal for everyone else. Just throwing it out there. Matt Smith. That's all Matt Smith. All right. Uh, hope to hear you. Uh, we'll be back with our regular uh, Habs Unfiltered show on Friday. Uh, uh, Pot, uh, Blang Potfin is uh, deployed till July on the VDQ right now, uh, so we wish him well. And, uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, folks. Have a good one. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.